Welcome to the Foundations Church Podcast, where we exist to make Jesus famous. We hope this message is life-giving, encouraging, and challenges you in your walk with Christ. Welcome to the Foundations Church Podcast. Are you guys awake? Oh, okay, now nah, you guys are up late. So last night, my wife is not from Oklahoma. I'm from Tulsa, but last night, 12.45 a.m., you know, she starts hearing the siren. She says, what is that? And I said, that's our state song, honey. That's, that's how you know to get the barbecue pit out, you know. So, all the lights went off in the house. She's so panicked last night. And I was like, just relax, okay? This is normal. Apparently, you guys have been through this. We're living in Texas now, but apparently this has been like a week-long ordeal for you guys. So, man, I'm glad you guys are here this morning. I know we're on a holiday weekend here, uh, but I'm just so thrilled to get to see so many familiar faces today. I know a lot of you guys just from years and years ago, being in Justin's youth ministry and just being from Tulsa myself. So, I'm so excited to get to be here. My family will be here a little bit later today. You guys might get to meet him, but I want to start off by talking to you guys today about something that is just incredibly close to my heart, and I think every single person in this room, regardless of what age you're at, this is going to hit. I think that this one is just going to smack because you have felt it before. I want to talk to you today about what to do when you don't know what to do. And it's, you probably got a, a great glimpse of that last night. Like your spouse, if they don't have a plan, like some of you guys, those sirens starts going off and you're going through the drawers, you got your tornado kit, you got your emergency kit, you've got a meet up place for your family in case something happens. Like if a tornado came rolling through my house, I'd be driving down trying to find my kids. You know what I'm saying? I don't, I don't know where we would meet at. I've got no plan for this sort of thing. But you know, what kind of person are you when, when trouble comes your way, when you don't really know what to do, what's the plan? You know, what's your default mode? What's your default setting whenever you experience something you didn't expect or something out of your control? Are you the kind of person that uh, maybe maybe holds your resume in front of God and you're like, you know, I didn't wish this illness on myself. I I go to church all the time. I tithe. I I pray. I worship. I'm a good person. You know, maybe you're the kind of person that you kind of hold your head down and just think all I got to do is just kind of get through it. I'm just going to smile and wave when people ask how I'm doing. I'm going to fake it till I make it. You know, maybe you're, you're the kind of person, and this is what I want to get to. You know, I've just got to admit as a pastor, I'm not there yet, but maybe you're the kind of person that no matter what the season of life brings you, you can turn to God and just say, no matter what happens, I know you're faithful. I know you're good. I know you're going to take care of me. You haven't let me down yet. But what's your default mode? What's your default setting when you don't know 
what to do. We're going to take a look at a text today. If you spent any time in church at all, I'm telling you, you've probably heard this before, but this is Mark chapter 5, and if you'll keep a a finger on Luke chapter 8, it's the same story, it's just different perspectives this morning, and you'll get to see just a really rich view of what Jesus is doing in the life of a woman who has waited for 12 years for something to happen. She's waited for a healing for 12 years, asked God to bring a healing to her life, and yet it's never happened. And then we'll get a look at a father who is desperate to find healing for his 12-year-old daughter. This is Mark chapter 5, verses 21 through 43. Check it out. When Jesus had crossed over again in the boat to the other side, a large crowd gathered around him. And so he stayed by the seashore. And one of the synagogue officials named Jairus came up and on seeing him fell at his feet and implored him earnestly saying, my daughter is at the point of death. Please come and lay your hands on her so that she'll get well and live. And he went off with them, and a large crowd was following him and pressing in on him. And then the detour. A woman who'd had a hemorrhage for 12 years and had endured much at the hands of many physicians and had spent all the money that she had but was not helped at all, but rather she'd grown worse. And after hearing about Jesus, she came up in the crowd behind him and she touched his cloak for she thought to herself, if I can just touch the tip of his garments, I'll get well. And then immediately the flow of her blood was dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her affliction. And then immediately Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had flowed through him, he turned around in the crowd and said, who touched my garments? And his disciples, I mean, can you see this moment? It's kind of a ridiculous question. He's like, you know everything. Who touched me? You see the crowd pressing in on you and you say, who touched me? And he looked around to see the woman who'd done this. But the woman fearing And trembling, aware of what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. She just starts rehearsing the play-by-play every moment that was going through her mind. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. And while he was still speaking, remember this is a story about Jairus. While he was still speaking, they came from the house of the synagogue official saying, Jairus, your daughter, she's dead. Why even trouble Jesus anymore? But Jesus, overhearing what was being spoken, said to the synagogue official, don't be afraid any longer, only believe. Don't be afraid any longer, only believe. Man, that sounds like something that belongs on like a coffee mug or like a Hallmark card. That's not something you say to somebody when their child is on the brink of death and you're wasting time handling somebody else's issue. That's not the sort of thing you say. I'm thinking if I'm Jairus, I mean, he's a pretty upstanding individual. We don't know a lot about Jairus from the text, but he's a synagogue official. That's like a pastoral, presidential kind of figure. People recognize him. They know exactly who he is. You can think of Pastor Justin when you think of Jairus. It's somebody that when his daughter got sick, people would know who Jairus' kids were. They would know, oh, that's Chloe. Oh, that's Charlie. I know my kids play soccer with him. My kids play basketball with him. I know who this guy is. I know his family. Jairus is an upstanding inner circle individual. And we're introduced to him in this scandalous moment where he like falls down at the feet of Jesus and all dignity is lost. He's just begging him to move from point A to point B. And then all of a sudden, the detour but you've probably felt this in your life. Like you've tried to get God to move you from point A to point B. You're trying to kind of get to a place and yet the hand of God is not moving maybe in the timing that you want, maybe in the way that you'd like to see. 
And you're a little frustrated because God is handling other people's issues while you're standing there and you're just like, I've been faithful. I've served in the synagogue. I've prayed the prayers. I've given the money. I've given the time. What's the plan here? Unexpected. Unplanned. What's your default mode when it comes to this sort of thing? What do you do when you don't know what to do? That's how difficulty kind of works in our life, right? It just shows up. We're surprised every time, even though we know the unexpected is just around the corner. You know, um, he's not here yet. I think he'll be in the next service, but I really wish you guys would get to meet my son this morning, Zeke. Um, Zeke is, he's about to be four years old, and we are just beginning this journey with him uh, where we've got an autism diagnosis from our doctor here recently. And we knew that Zeke was a little bit different because he is, he's just not like most kids when it comes to making plans. You know, we'll we'll tell Zeke, this is just an example, but on our way up here, we told Zeke that we were going to go see Gigi and Jitdu. That's his, uh, that's his granny and grandpa. And we said, we're going to go to Gigi's house. And, uh, and, and for Zeke, he starts to plot this out in his mind. It's a really linear, it's a straight line. We go from our house to Gigi's house. Straight line, linear, one path. If we stop at a gas station, if we stop for ice cream, if we stop for food, because that was not part of the plan that was communicated, my son will literally start to pull at his seatbelt. He'll start to scratch his face. He'll flip out. He'll wig out because he can't handle the fact that there's something that's not part of the plan here. The way that he thinks is just so linear. And after seeing some doctors, they've told us that this is something called perseveration. This is brand new to me. Doctors are telling us it's called perseveration. You may have seen it before. If you know anybody um, who's autistic or you've got maybe an autistic child, they will get hung up on a phrase or they'll turn uh, like a, a word around over and over and over and over, and they'll just wear it out. I'm not lying to you when I say this. This is, this is my son when he gets stressed out. This is hilarious to me. Um, at first, when this was happening, I was like, this is adorable. And now I'm like, oh, I need to hide this. But <laughs> my son, when he gets stressed out, he will literally start to walk like a dinosaur. He'll go like this, and he'll growl at people, and he'll roar. And it, look, at four years old, it's really sweet. But at 40 years old, like, we got to get this under control. You know what I'm saying? We need to figure something out ASAP. And uh, in the church that we're in, in Texas, he's made just some incredible friends. He's got, there's one little boy um, th- that has autism in our, in our ministry who, when he gets, when he starts to stem, that's what they call it, when he starts to stem, he'll do Michael Jackson moves. And so we've got this T-Rex and this Michael Jackson act happening in Forney, Texas. It's a circus. It's amazing. And uh, I'll tell you, my son, he has such trouble with this perseveration thing because in his mind, the way that this works is it's a linear path. If we get off it, if something interrupts the flow here of the way things are supposed to be, suddenly he's frantic and freaking out and panicked because he can't see the way that this is supposed to be. He can't see the bigger picture here. And I think if I had to guess, if I had to guess, I bet there is a large percentage of Foundations Church that probably suffers from some sort of spiritual perseveration where you're like Jairus in this text, where it's like, if I can move Jesus from point A to point B, things will be fixed. I just need him to get to my daughter. I just need that to happen. I mean, what does that look like for you this morning? Like, it's like, if God, if I did not have that boss, if you would get that boss out of my life, things would be fixed. God, I'm waiting for that promotion. I've worked so hard. I've done everything I can. I'm just ready for it. And you're not bringing it about. What's the deal? 
God, my family's not supposed to look like this. My children are not supposed to. I've got a wayward child. I've prayed, I've sought you, and yet you've done nothing to bring them back. Jairus is trying his hardest to move things from point A to point B. And then in a little glimmer of hope here, we see Jesus start to turn and start to make his way towards Jairus' house. And I think that this is so important to mention this morning, Foundations. Don't miss this. Just like Jesus' little phrase here, his little, don't be afraid, just have faith, his little coffee cup, the one-liner bumper sticker thing. I think it is so important that we learn to trust God in the difficult seasons of life. That's just kind of a no-brainer, right? I mean, your faith isn't made just for easy. Your faith is just not on easy mode. It's just not something that's convenient. I mean, your faith, God has brought you. I mean, I want you to take a second to think about all that God has brought you through for this moment. I mean, do you know the biology that is involved in just creating you this morning and just you being here? The certain set of parents who had a certain set of parents who had a certain set of parents from a certain country. Like for you to get here this morning, what, I mean, the chances of that sort of thing. And yet you take a look at your life and there's this perseveration act where it's like, I just, I can't, I can't get through the fact that God is not bringing about the things that I thought he was supposed to at this point. I'm supposed to have a spouse by this point. I'm supposed to be graduated by this point. I'm supposed to get that scholarship, that home, that house, that job, you name it. You got to learn to trust God in the difficult seasons of life because it's all about the character he's trying to build right now. It's all about the faith he's trying to mold within you right now. It might not make a lot of sense, but it's all about a bigger picture here that is your good and his glory. It's something bigger than you. But occasionally, this is hard, occasionally there's the detour. You're on the path of life, and then a detour. And the text says it's like this. Jesus starts to go off with Jairus towards his house to heal his daughter, and a large crowd was following him and pressing in on him. Verse 25, a woman who'd had a hemorrhage for 12 years and had endured much at the hands of many physicians and had spent all that she had and was not helped at all, but rather she'd just grown worse. After hearing about Jesus, she came up in the crowd behind him and she touched his cloak, for she thought, if I can just touch his garments, I'll get well. And then immediately, the flow of her blood was dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her affliction. I love this. Have you ever tried to fix something and you've only made it worse? <laughs> I'm like, whatever a handyman is, I'm like the total opposite. I'm like Tim the Toolman Taylor. Like, you give me something, I will blow it up. I will set it on fire. I will find a way for, for myself to break it. Technology knows when it touches my hands. It just commits suicide. I am terrible when it comes to any kind of fixing anything. It's just not me. But that's not the case here. That's not the case in this text. Like it says that she spent all the money. It says that she's sought the doctors. It says that she's tried her hand at everything, every possible avenue. I mean, she's dialing up, you know, herbal stuff, trying to get the oils. She's calling up different people, trying the different remedies here and there. She's diffusing stuff in her household. She's doing everything she can to make sure that she's well. And yet it says that God never brought about any kind of healing in her life. You compare Jairus, <laughs> this upstanding pastoral individual, to the woman with the issue of blood. It doesn't even say her name. 
Like she's literally defined by her issue. You compare Jairus to the woman with the issue of blood. What in the world is Jesus doing paying attention to this woman? Like what is he doing spending his time here? That doesn't make any sense. And it's incredible when you look at her life and you start to really boil down what this moment entails. You know, if she sits on the sideline, church, I want you to hear this this morning. Do you know if she sits on the sideline, just watching that crowd walk by, just praying her heart out, God, I, I'm, I know that you're faithful. I know that you can heal me. I know that you could do something here. Do you know if she sits on the sideline and doesn't actually reach out to touch Jesus, she stays sick. Do you know if she doesn't partner action with her faith, she stays sick. I mean, you can have all the faith in the world, but faith can't fix what you won't face. I mean, there's a lot of people in this room that have been praying for a long time for that promotion or that job or that house, and you got all the faith in the world. You're like, I know, won't he do it? Won't God do it? Ain't he faithful? But it's like you're not working. There's a part of the deal here. There's a part of your action. There's a part of your participation here. This is part of your faith growing. And yet I see so many hearts full of faith, but hands are just empty of action. I mean, that's the church as a whole sometimes. This woman reminds me, no matter how dirty, no matter how messed up, no matter how discouraged, no matter how jacked up my life is, I can't allow what's bad in my life to keep me what's from what's so good in God. Don't allow what is so bad in you to keep you from God's good. Don't, don't get to a place where it's like you've taken your eyes off of how amazing Jesus is and you're more focused on what your issues are. I love what Romans 5, 8 says. It just says that God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Like while we were not on the same team, while we were enemies, before this was even written, this woman figured this out. Before the Apostle Paul ever put pen to paper on this one, she had this figured out. She knew she wasn't gonna let her issue keep her from the person that had the fix, the person that had the solution. I mean, think about it, because she, she's supposed to be sidelined. I don't know if you know anything about Old Testament law, but I mean, it's, a, it's about to get a little uncomfortable in here, 10 o'clock, Foundations Church. This is what it says. This is her reality here. I want you to let this sink in for a moment. This is Leviticus 15, 25 through 26. When a woman has a discharge of blood for many days at a time other than her monthly period or has a discharge that continues beyond her period, she will be unclean as long as she has the discharge, just as in the days of her period. Any bed she lies on while her discharge continues will be unclean, as is her bed during her monthly period. And anything she sits on will be unclean. And anyone she touches will be unclean. And anywhere she goes will be unclean. And it continues and continues and continues. And I know you're probably thinking to yourself right now, who did Justin get to be talking at 10 o'clock about menstruation on a Sunday morning? What are we doing here? But, but you know that, that taboo, like that tension? It's like, man, can, we, can you talk about that? Yeah, it's her life. And if she sits on the sideline, more concerned about what will people think? I mean, think about the visual, like stained. She has no money. Like she cannot, I mean, she's not wearing, you know, ripped up jeans and a cool shirt. She's not doing that. She's, she's anemic. She's at a place where she has nothing to offer. And yet she wasn't about to let her circumstances keep her from the person that had the change. 
She wasn't about to let the things that she's gone through, her history, keep her from a future that could be so different. I love this. A lot of us kind of feel like these DIY projects, but this woman reminds us of something here. In the middle of Jairus' story, this detour reminds us of a moment here that sometimes we got to reach out to God to experience some kind of turnaround. Sometimes we got to be just on purpose and deliberate when it doesn't feel good, when it doesn't make sense. I mean, take a look. This is the way that this, this chapter ends in Mark. It says this, his disciples asked him, Look at this crowd pressing around you. How can you ask who touched me? And don't miss this. You skip over to Luke chapter eight and Luke fills in the gap here. It says this, as Jesus went with them, he was surrounded by the crowds and a woman in the crowd had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding and she could find no cure. But coming up behind Jesus, she touched the fringe of his robe and immediately the bleeding stopped. Jesus asked the same question, who touched me? Everyone denies it. And then Peter speaks up. Master, uh, everyone is touching you right now. But Jesus said, don't miss this foundations. Jesus said, someone deliberately touched me for I felt power go out for me. Somebody touched me on purpose is what Jesus said. And this is the thing that I want you to walk away with today. When you don't know what to do, one of the most encouraging things to realize is that Jesus knows the difference between those of us that just kind of casually bump into him along the way at this church service or this conference or this prayer service or this worship set. He knows the difference between those of us that are just doing these casual things and those of us that are walking in in the middle of pain and difficulty and reaching out to deliberately touch him. He knows the difference when it doesn't feel good and it doesn't make sense. It's the hardest thing in the world to walk into a church and to raise your hands and sing about how good God is when your life doesn't make any sense of it. He knows the difference. Now I'm telling you, you can find such faith and encouragement when you realize that God sees your pain and he doesn't waste a moment of it. Every time I preach this text, I can't help but go back to just, I mean, it's two years ago now, but it, to me, it could have been an hour ago. You know, we had no problem getting pregnant with our firstborn, Emery. I mean, she was not part of the five-year plan. <laughs> we got married, and we had a plan for we're going to have kids five years later, and literally five months in, I found out we were having our first kid. We had no problem getting pregnant with Emery. And then Zeke. A couple years later, Zeke had a lot of health issues, failure to thrive when he was born. He's, I told you he's autistic. But we had no problem getting pregnant with Zeke. And so when I found out we were pregnant with our third child, it just, everything seemed normal. And I was at church one evening, I was preparing for an event, getting things ready for the teenagers. We were doing this thing called the color war. It's like a paint fight. It's crazy. It's a ton of fun. And I was getting all this paint together and I got a, a call from my wife. And she just said, I need you to come home. I think something's wrong. And so I just go as fast as I can. I just start racing to the house. And, uh, you know, I just remember holding her that night as she's just bleeding. And, I, you know, I'm, you're trying to make sense of the goodness of God in the middle of miscarriage and loss. Like, I don't know how you do that. To this day, I don't know how you do that. Uh, but God is so faithful. He's always so faithful. And uh, just a little while later, we would get pregnant again. And we were so certain that this was the fix. And God has something in store for us. What a miraculous plan. We'd miscarried. He's going to make it all better. And then shortly after, we would miscarry our second child. 
Christmas morning, two years ago, I opened up a gift and on the inside of it, it just had a, uh, a sign that my wife had made. And uh, it, it just said, for this child, I have prayed. And I found out that we were having our third child on uh, Christmas morning, two years ago. And wouldn't you know it, two days later, we would have a third miscarriage. You know, I remember there were nights I would take the the pillow in my room and I'd just hold it over my face and I would scream as loud as I could. And I would try to remind God, do you know what I do for a living? Like, I'm a youth pastor. I literally make other people's families better. That's my job. And so what you're going to do to my family is you're going to let mine dry up and die? That's the plan? That doesn't seem like holiness. That seems sadistic. And, you know, if I'm honest with myself, I think I could hear just in the back of my mind the same voice that Jesus spoke to Jairus here. He says, don't be afraid. Just have faith. You know, those are the same words he speaks uh, to Martha in John 11 as she runs out. Mary can't even run out. She's She's so grief-stricken. Jesus was too late. Her brother had died. This is not the order of events. This was not the way this was supposed to be. This doesn't make any sense. And so Jesus strolls up on the scene. He's like, all right, take me to the tomb. And Martha shows up. She's like, you're too late. Like, what are you even doing here right now? And he reminds her. Don't be afraid. Just have faith. You know, I, I wouldn't really get my answer uh, from God. And, you know, sometimes you don't. But I wouldn't get it for uh, a few months later when I was at uh, Poteet High School. And I went to go see a student to do a theater performance. Uh, just uh, this student had begged me. His name's Tyler Kwasnicka, which I know doesn't mean much to you, but Tyler is a really distinct kid. He's got bright red hair. He wears the same green hoodie every day probably smells awful and he's very very round and so you can't miss him he's a can't miss kind of student and so he came over to me and he had actually just lost his grandfather here recently and so he had told me he begged me he said can you please come watch my theater performance because it's a big deal to me and my my mom and my grandma will be there but I was kind of a I guess a father figure to him and so he said would you come check it out I said of course Tyler I'll be there no matter what so I'm right in the middle of my own grief and I drive down to Poteet High School. It's about 25 minutes away from my house and I get there and I, I go in this Thursday night of this performance. And I walk in and I sit at the back and the curtain is down. And so, you know, they do a little drum roll and the curtain comes up and yeah, no offense. I mean, high school students, if you're in here, I really, I don't want to bust your chops this morning, but some of those performances are terrible. They're the worst things ever. Like I was right in the middle of so much grief and I thought that this would sort of take my mind off things. I was wrong. You know, I, I quickly wanted to get out of there really fast. And, uh, and so I remember just sitting in this room, the curtain came up and, uh, the, the cast comes out, the players come out, and I'm looking, and I just, I don't, I can't find Tyler anywhere. Like I said, very distinct guy. And so, the, you know, the cast does their thing. They're interacting, they're talking to one another, band comes out, they're doing their thing, and it's back and forth. The curtain drops, comes back up, entirely different scene. They've rearranged things differently. The villain comes out, you know, he's doing his thing. The hero comes out, it's, you know, curtain drops again 
comes back up and it's an intermission. And I'm like, the whole time, I'm doing my best to try to find Tyler. He is nowhere to be found. He is not there. And so I go outside, I grab some peanuts or something, I don't know, and I walk back in, I sit towards the front because I honestly don't have great vision, but I sat towards the front and the curtain came back up and there's, you know, the players and the cast are coming back out, but still no Tyler, he's not anywhere to be found. And at this time, I'm starting to get a little frustrated. So I get my phone out and I start texting my wife and I'm like, does he go to Poteet High School? Am I at the right place? And she texts me back. She's like, quit being smart aleck. He goes there. He's probably the surprise villain at the end, you know, ah, he's going to pop out. And so I just, I wait. Curtain drops. Comes back up. Now the whole cast comes out and they're holding hands and they take them out. And I've got to be honest, I'm, there is steam coming out of my ears right now. Because like I said, I was right in the middle of the hardest season of my life and I literally went to watch a play for a kid that was not even in the play. Like I was getting very frustrated. And so I was about to get up and as the cast is taking their final bow, the stage director walks out and she says, hey, I want to uh, pays special recognition to our stage hands in the back. And would you know it, out walks Tyler Kwasnicka with his clipboard. He's the proudest kid in the world. And he points at me like this. And I gave him the finger. No, I didn't do that. I wanted to. I wanted to. I wanted to just, you know, so bad. I did it. But he, uh, he raced down afterwards. He's just glowing. He raced down afterwards and he said, did you like it? And I said, No. And he said, why? And I said, you weren't even in it. And, and don't miss this. I'll never forget this. Rest of my life, I'll never forget it. He said, yes, I was. I said, Tyler, I looked at every person in the face and you weren't even in it. He said, every time the curtain dropped and the scene changed, when it looked like things were just a little too hopeless and that the hero was never gonna prevail, it was me back there. I was moving the curtain and I was sending people out and I was pulling people back in and I was moving the storyline along. You just, you just didn't see me. You know, I drove home that night and I was just gripping the steering wheel and I remember just crying uncontrollably. You know, sometimes I can't always see my father. I can't always see him at work, but I know his hand moves for my good and his glory always. I know he's always bringing certain things about arranging certain things around, moving certain seasons, taking certain things in and out. And I just got to trust that he knows the story better than I do. I got to trust that he's got a plan that is much, much bigger than mine and much, much better than mine. And that I've just got to be deliberate along the way, that I've got to be on purpose along the way, worship him along the way, to trust him along the way. He's got something bigger and better in store. And I've just got to expect God to still be God no matter what. Expect God to still be God no matter what. The text finishes with this. And Jesus stopped the crowd and wouldn't let anyone go with him except Peter, James, and John. And when they came to the home of Jairus, Jesus saw all the weeping and the commotion and the crying and the wailing. And he went inside and he asked, why is everybody crying? She's not dead. She's asleep. And the crowd laughed at him, but he made them all leave. And he took the girl's father and mother and his three disciples into the room where the girl was lying. And holding her hand, he said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, get up. And the girl who was 12 years old immediately stood up and she walked around. They were overwhelmed and totally 
amazed. You know, this is a story of two desperate people. You know, if, you, if, if, if you're not careful, you'll miss it because I was so certain that this was a story about Jairus. I was so certain. But did you notice what Jesus calls the little girl here? He calls her daughter. And do you remember what he calls the woman with the issue of blood? Doesn't define her by her issue. He calls her daughter. I wonder what kind of thing you've dragged into place today. Something out of your control, something you're frustrated with trying to figure out what God's plan is in this whole ordeal. He's not mad. He's not upset. You haven't done anything wrong. You just got to stay in the story because sometimes as hard as this is, he's not planning a healing. He's planning a resurrection. And sometimes that is a lot harder to get your head around. He doesn't want to just fix what you know, but he wants to give you something new altogether. And I'll close with this. It's probably 5 a.m. Um, a, a couple years back. And uh, I heard a chime at my door. You probably have an alarm like this too. When somebody comes in or out of my house, you'll hear a beep, beep, beep. And so I opened my eyes because I'm a little bit of a paranoid sleeper. And uh, I threw myself out of bed. And I don't own a gun because if I own a gun, I'd probably shoot myself before I shot anybody else. And so what I did is I tried to surprise the attacker that was getting in my home. So I got on the wall and I kind of shimmied down the the hallway. And and, uh, I waited for this attacker who had come into my house at 4.35 a.m., totally pitch black outside. And uh, what I see is this little tiny head walking through my house. It's my daughter. It's Emery. She sleepwalks. Add that to the list of crazy in my household. Um, she sleepwalks really bad. And so she didn't just sleepwalk through the kitchen, but she actually went out the back door. She opened the door and walked outside. And there she was. It was actually really freaky. It looked like something from The Exorcist. She was just standing in the backyard like this. And she was just looking at And so I approached really gently, fearing that she was either possessed or that I could wake her up in a, in a frightening way. And so I got really gently behind her and I just laid my hand on her back and I just remember her startling and she turned around and she just started weeping she started crying I scooped her up and the, you know what the first thing she said to me was she said don't spank me <laughs> I said baby why would I spank you I'm just holding her she said I got lost I got lost I just held her and I said, baby, you're in the backyard. (laughs) And I know sometimes our first reaction is when we come to God and we, we, we sort of feel like maybe we're not supposed to be there or we're an inconvenience or maybe we messed up along the way. And our first reaction is like, I'm I'm so sorry. I, I, I I didn't mean to. I, I, and he just says, daughter, don't be afraid. Just have faith. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? Father God, we love you so much. Thank you so much for this reminder here this morning that you're always faithful no matter the season that we go through. No matter what our difficulty looks like, no matter what our trial looks like, no matter what our season looks like, you're always faithful, God. And Jesus, for those of us in here right now who would say that we're just in a place of loss and we're in a wilderness right now, we can't see the way out. God, I pray that you would give light and you would give wisdom and you give direction to people here. 
God, that we wouldn't just be left to trying to figure this map out or this compass out or this GPS on our own, but you would help us to simply trust you and have faith that you got a bigger plan that's for our good and your glory no matter what. God, you're always faithful. With every head bowed and every eye closed in this room, if you would say this morning, Jeremy, I either just need to get my relationship with Jesus back on track or I'm just in a place of life I just don't know what to do and I need God to show me the way. On the count of three, if that's you this morning, would you slip a hand in the air? One, two, three. I'm not gonna embarrass you, not gonna call you down to the front. If that's you this morning, I just need help this morning. Yeah, I see you here. Yeah. Yeah, I see you in the back. Does anybody wanna join this hand? Yes. God, I just need you to open my eyes. Show me the way. Let's pray. Father God, we love you, Lord. We ask that you give us guidance. You'd open the path to us, God. And if we can't see the way, would you give us the strength to to do the next right thing, to take the next step, Lord Jesus. We want to live for you the rest of our days. God, we declare you as the Lord and Savior of of our life. And we ask that you would give us guidance and give us comfort. We love you, Lord. It's in Jesus we pray. Amen. Foundations, thank you so much for having me out this morning. God bless you guys. Thanks so much for listening to our podcast. If you have any questions, are in need of prayer, or would like to join a connect group, feel free to email me at Nicole at foundationschurch.tv. that you enjoyed this message. If you have any questions or want to reach out to us, you can email us at info at foundationschurch.tv or visit our website at foundationschurch.tv.